Good morning, girls. Chodesh Tov. Freilcha Rosh Chodesh Adar. The last few minutes hopefully got you all in the mood of uh, this special time, special occasion, and a special parsha. Uh, you know, we, this this week is Parsha's Mishpatim, and while everyone thinks about Mishpatim from the point of view of the laws, the many mitzvahs that are involved in Mishpatim, the end of the parsha really takes us back and really reconnects it to last week's parsha, the parsha's Yisro. And maybe the two most famous words in the entire Torah, two words that have reverberated throughout Jewish generations, really from the beginning of, uh, of our history, uh, are the words Nasev and Ishma. They actually appear at the end of this week's parsha. And these are very special words. These were words that were said by Klai Yisrael, Nasa, we will do, we will commit, we are all in. And Nishma, then we will understand, then we will learn, we will uh, uh, embrace the mitzvahs as we learn them, but our attitude is Nasa Nishma. We're all in, we're ready to go. You just have to teach us what we have to do, Ribbon Shalom, but our readiness to accept whatever you have to say is here right now. And these words were so incredible that the Malach Hashar, the Gemara and Shabbos, tells us that the, the angels could not believe it. Mi Gila Raza, who, in, who could possibly have revealed this secret to the Jewish people of Nasev and Ishma? How could, they have, how could they have the clarity and the greatness to have said these amazing words? And I guess the question you really need to be asked, what makes them so amazing? What makes them so incredible? If anything, we have we've uh, other instances where the Gentile world looks at us and sort of uh, and, uh, mocks us for saying Nasev and Ishma. Famous Gemara about Rava, who didn't realize that the string was wrapped around his finger and he started, he was learning Torah and he, it's, his finger started bleeding. And the, and the Tzaduki, the heretic who was mocking Rava, said, yeah, it makes sense. You guys, you said Nasev and Ishma, you're very impetuous, you're very impulsive, you... You don't even realize that your finger is bleeding. You're in a different planet. You're, you're thinking about other things and you don't even recognize what's going on right underneath your nose. So it's fascinating. So what really was this greatness? Doesn't it seem a little impulsive? Doesn't it seem sort of jumping right in without first analyzing what the circumstances are, what you're accepting? In fact, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu offered the other nations the Torah, famous Gemara, the HaKadosh Baruch Hu offered the other nations the Torah. What did they say? They said, They said something that's very logical, apparently. If you're really a cerebral person and you're asked, do you want to commit to a system of life, a system of laws? Do you want to go all in? <laughs> well, tell me. Tell me what I'm committing to. Tell me what, uh, what all in is all about, and then I'll, de- and I'll decide. And they lost their opportunity. So what really was the greatness? What really was the secret of Nasev Nishma? What made it so special? And I think one of the essential features of Nasev Nishma, this is a question that certainly has many angles and uh, really a lot you can discuss, and certainly a great discussion for the Shabbos table about the uniqueness of Nasev Nishma, what made it so special. But fundamentally, when you think of Nasev Nishma, the, the notion of Maksivbe, the question of Maksivbe, when you really br- break it down to its core issue, the question of what's in the Torah, the question is, I'll decide, I'll be in charge, I will let you know, God, if I'm in, tell me what's in there. And of course, we know the, the Gemara says, uh, God picked the one mitzvah that was 
most anathema to, to the, that particular people. And therefore, when that, when that nation heard, whether it be don't kill or don't steal, or whatever it might have been, that was the one thing that they were so uh, into, they right away backed away. And the real core of what really is going on here, the greatness of the Jewish people, is that there is a need, a logical obligation for a person when dealing with a Kaddish Baruch Hu, to not ask any questions. I know this rubs against the grain of our inner sense of sort of wanting to be in charge. But in reality, when Klai Yisrael had that moment of clarity and they recognized, we're not in charge. HaKadosh Baruch Hu chose us. And he brought us out into the midbar. He took us out of Mitzrayim. And he brought us to Har Sinai. And he's offering us a Torah. What could our, what answer could we have given if not Nasev Nishma? Because any other answer would have demanded and sort of bespoke an arrogance that says, I'm going to decide truth. I'm going to decide the kind of life I want to live. Really? God is offering us the secret of the universe? God is offering us the blueprint of, of creation? God is offering us a system that he personally designed and created for us, for our inner joy, for our tranquility, for our ability to, to connect on the highest levels of human achievement and, and, and human happiness? And we're going to say maxivbe? It... it, it when you think about it, how illogical it is. But when it's very logical when you sort of put yourself at the center of, of the equation. When, when I'm going to decide, and I, I've said it many times, a famous Gemara about the Eight Sahara, beautiful, beautiful shot by the Bali Musa about the, what the Eight Sahara really is. Because the Gemara discusses the issue of when does the, this Eight Sahara enter into a person. And there's a Gemara that talks about the fact that it enters even before the baby's born. Hmm. Even, with a, even before the baby's born, a, a, a fetus is sucking the embryonic juices from its mother, and you're telling me there's, there's the Sahara? What's the Sahara? There's no, there's no uh, technology, there's no TikTok, there's no Instagram. There's, what, what, what could possibly be going on in the fetus in the mother's womb that's going to be involved the Sahara? There's no, there's no, there's no McDonald's. There's no, what, what, what could it be? What's the, where's the Sahara? Nothing going on there. And the answer is, Amazingly, explained to Bali Musa, there is something going on. Baby's kicking. There is already ingrained within the attitude of that fetus this desire, the kicking, the moving, the, you know, a lot of times kids are sometimes upside down here, there, and everywhere. They're moving around. They're already asserting a certain independence that says, I'm in charge. I want to do it my way. Get me out of here. I want to fly. I don't want to be boxed into this little situation over here called my, um, the embryonic sac. I don't want this. I want to. I want to be able to spread my wings. So let me out of here. And that independence is already ingrained, and it's something that Hakadosh Baruch Hu gave us as part of the battle. He injected us with this attitude, call it ego, call it whatever you want. But this sort of haughtiness or self-centeredness is part of our nature, and our job is to see, is to see truth. Our job is to see the clarity. Is whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm in charge, so I'm going to decide truth. I'm going to be. That person who just sort of sit there, sits there in judgment of, of God's world about which mitzvah I want to keep, which mitzvah I don't want to keep. Nasev Nishma was that, that complete buy-in to get, to become all in on this recognition that this is God's world and God, you're offering me truth. I'm, I'm going to sit there and judge. Who am I? I want to, my, my limited brain is as high as my IQ might be. What? <laughs> Where do I come to Akash uh, level of clarity of the world? I mean, come on, it's a joke. So Klai Yisrael, by not asking Maksivbe, they weren't, they were not 
manifesting a impetuous, superficial type of attitude, just the opposite. They were recognizing that there's only one truth in the world, and that comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And when you're all in on that, then everything else will take care of itself. There'll, there'll be a sense of satisfaction. There'll be joy. And if I'm going to put my own ego and think about what happens when, when we grow up, when we get older, the, the Bali Musa explained that concept, that you see it when, when we're... When, the children even have this assertive mentality. You know, I, what I need this and I want this and, you know, and they don't like the food. They throw the cottage cheese on the wall when they're two years old because I don't like the food you're giving me. And, you know, when we get older and we want the, uh, we want the presents, we want this, we want the, that, and it's certainly a teenager years. We want, we need a lot of things. We need the car keys. We got to throw out the curfew concept and, you know, all, all these things that are about me, me, me. And there are people who don't even work for somebody else because I can't have a boss. I can't have a boss. I have to call my own shots. I can't be a nine to five and make $300,000. I'm going to be my own person and make $150,000. I don't want to have to answer to anybody. Is that really logical? It's about, an, it's about a person asserting their ego and not doing things that really on their, uh, that are in their best interest. But because why? Because it's me and I got to be in charge. It's my life. It is our life. That's true. But are we going to feel we're in charge and make, make decisions about truth above and beyond that Kodesh Baruch Hu. So therefore, these words were incredibly humble. They were incredibly enlightening to the, to the ability of the Jewish people to rise above whatever self-interest they might have had. And collectively, they had this amazing vision of committing. It doesn't, doesn't mean that it lasted very long. We had trials and tribulations throughout the Midbar. But at least for that moment, those words Nasev and Ishma reverberate throughout history as the two greatest, most clear words that a nation ever uttered in the history of mankind. Because it made them recognize, and they did recognize, it, it, it indicated their recognition of a truth and a clarity that we need to really try to imbibe in our own life. We find ourselves, you listen to ourselves, if we listen to ourselves talk sometimes, there's way too many times where, oh, I love that mitzvah, I'm not so hepped up about this one, this, is, this one doesn't sit right with me, and like, we're sitting there, what? In judgment? I've said so many times, you know, there are two types of Jews. There are Jews who are on the inside living the, the Torah and are all in, and there are other Jews who, on certain mitzvahs, they're on the outside. And they're not ready to, to, to jump in. I, I, I've said this many, many times. I find it fascinating. I, you know, again, I never took this poll, but I think somebody can write probably some thesis, uh, some uh, college term paper on this concept of religion in general, but Judaism in particular. Obviously, I'm not encouraging anybody to check with other religions. But just on Judaism alone, if you were to ask the majority of secular Jews, Jews who are not keeping the, the Torah. And you ask them, what does it, what appears about Judaism that seems to be the most difficult? What sort of keeps you away? What is it about? Because after all these Jews, they look like they're having a good time. A lot of Luchayims, a lot of Simchis, parties, they're, they're dancing at the Chaiwa. Like, what scares you about Judaism that you're not willing to even put your foot into the water? I think the number one answer would be Shabbos. I think the number one answer would be, yeah, Judaism looks nice. I know these, you know, these, uh, yeah, men and women, they seem to be really enjoying themselves about this Shabbos thing. I mean, 25 hours, no electricity, no technology, no washing your car, no going to ball games, no, no going to the mall. 25 hours on one of the days of, of, of uh, my weekend? <laughs> it's impossible. I can't do it. If they didn't have Shabbos, maybe I would consider it. I mean, the kosher food actually looks pretty appealing. 
And these kosher restaurants seem to serve good food. So that wouldn't bother me, but that Shabbos thing, no way. That's what I think. And somebody can actually do the research and actually do the whole, you know, maybe you have to take a course in sociology to know how to take polls and everything. But I think there is truth to what I'm saying. I believe that would be the answer. But amazingly, if you sort of take the flip side of that very same poll, and you poll Jews, and you say to Jews, tell me, uh, of all the mitzvahs in the Torah, which is the one that you feel we can't do without? Which mitzvah would you say to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, don't you dare touch that mitzvah, it needs to be left? If HaKadosh Baruch Hu was thinking, chas would never happen, but if theoretically God was saying, I'm taking one mitzvah away, I'm going to go from 613 to 612, which one do you want to protect that you don't want me to touch? I think the answer would be Shabbos. I think the answer of, from Klai Yisrael, who are observant Jews, which mitzvah, which mitzvah can't you touch? I think they would say Shabbos, right? We, how many of us have seen the, the bumper sticker, hang in there, Shabbos is coming. Shabbos, the holiest day, the most amazing day. We'll reconnect, we'll, we'll, we'll disconnect, and that disconnection becomes so amazing, so uplifting, so real, so opportunistic for, for a connection with your family, connection for, with our Kaddish Baruch Hu, to have, to have an understanding of who you really are. The six days, the hustle and bustle, ah, Shabbos. What would I do if that wouldn't be Shabbos? I think Shabbos would be the number one mitzvah. Isn't that amazing? The very mitzvah that everyone is scared of and keeps people away is the one mitzvah that the ones who are doing it, <laughs> Kodesh Baruch don't touch my Shabbos. You gave us the greatest gift. You know what? Chazal say. It was the gift that Kodesh Baruch gave. It was a special hidden gift. He gave us Shabbos. It's, it's fascinating. It's, it's the almost poison to the outside, and it's the, the, the greatest elixir for, for excitement and for inner joy, the inner peace, on the other side. And the, and the difference is just one very simple difference. Are you in or are you out? I've mentioned many times. It's, it's fascinating. A lot, a lot of girls, they struggle covering your hair. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a challenging mitzvah, but it's so amazing. When you're not yet married... And sometimes girls who are grappling with this concept, you know, I will, I won't, well, yeah, how can I do it? And it's, I identify with my hair, and it's, it's a challenging moment. But it's amazing that that very same girl who might be challenging all the way to the chup, all the way to, the, to that moment of, of the chasen is still, you know, agitated, but, you know, she knows she's going to do it. She made the commitment, and, and, and uh, you know, she's going to do it, but she's not going happily. She's not doing it happily. You make, meet that same girl two months after a wedding, three months after a wedding, just a few, just not, not a long time. Three months she's married, three months she's covering her hair. You try to pull that shaitel off her, you try to pull that tichel off her, okay, and you, uh, it's okay, well, you remember how, how, how connected you are to your hair? Just go in the mall and take off your head covering. Ah, take off my head covering? What are you, out of your mind? No way. I, 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 I would be so embarrassed, it can't happen. Oh, what happened? Oh, slow down. Three months ago, you were uneasy. Three months ago, you were somewhat apprehensive. You weren't so comfortable. And now all of a sudden, don't you dare even touch my head covering? I'm a married woman now, and, and, and I, I would never be seen in a, in a public area without my, without my hair being covered? Like, what's the deal? The deal is when you start living a Torah life, and you get in, and you sort of maybe sometimes you forced him because I made a commitment, I'm getting married, we, made it, we, we have this understanding... Or whether you jumped in on your own, it doesn't really matter, but you're living a Torah life, you're living it happily, and you made that commitment. All of a sudden, things change. The very mitzvah that seems so difficult, 
so illogical, so not connected to, to who you really are. Whoa, this is so me. This is so who I want to be. This is so true. This is, speaks to me in such a profound way. What happened? Because we're in it. Because we, we threw ourselves in. We're not sitting there in judgment on the outside sort of saying, well, let me see about that. That's, that's the rest of the world. That's the rest of the rest of the world not buying into the concept of Nasa Nishma. You're sitting in judgment. You're going to sit in judgment. You're not going to get it. You live truth. You live a Baruch Hu's Torah. You you jump into the mitzvahs and you live that life. You'll never you never look back. It'll never there won't be any more questions. It'll it'll all become clear. The mitzvahs are so beautiful. The mitzvahs resonate so perfectly within our neshamas, but it needs that buy-in. It needs that all-in mentality. And why not? It's coming from Hashem. He made us. He's the, he's the uh, author of the, of the manual, the owner's manual that tells you exactly how it works. When you think of buying some fancy $15,000 computer from the, from the Pentagon, and yeah, I don't need the, the manual, I'll just throw it out. I'll figure it out on my own. When, when I see a little red light buzzing, I don't have to, I'll just press this button. Oh, slow down. Maybe you want to check whether you're setting a missile somewhere. I mean, this is a, a fancy computer. Eh, I'll just say it. You're crazy. You would never do such a thing. Of course you would never, because you want to follow the manual based on the person who put it all together. That's what Christ will recognize with these words of Nasev Nishma. This is the, the beauty that's so right there available for us. If we jump in, it's not easy, because the HR can get in, and the ego gets in, and sometimes, you know, we sort of get agitated or distracted or things can... But if we can maintain that kind of concept, that complete understanding that this is HaKadosh Baruch Hu's world and He's given us the truth and it's so beautiful and it's so perfect and while it doesn't mean everything is going to be rosy, there are going to be trials and tribulations, there are going to be bumps in the road in terms of my expectations of life, there are challenges, we, we live through them, we see them all around us, unfortunately true challenges, but that's not, not about happiness or lack of happiness. Our happiness is when we connect to truth. The challenges are challenges that we grow from and that we have to persevere in. It's not about it's going to be smooth. It's about it's truth. It's real. So, Bez Hashem, if we can take these words of Nasev and Ishmael, if we can internalize them, and when we hear, again, when we see them in the Psukim in this week's Parsha, in the very end of the Parsha, and we think about what those words represent, we think about the Malach HaShar is saying, me, Gila Raza, who revealed this incredible secret to the Jewish people? And we understand, wow, how, how amazing it is. How fortunate we are as a Jewish people. We have the blueprint. We have the, the manual for, for truth, for connecting, for live, living a life that is unbelievably uplifting. And when those 120 years are over, there's not going to be a question, what did I do with my life? The mitzvot, the chesed, the shabbosos, all of the meaningful moments of what HaKadosh Baruch gives us every single day. One of the most amazing things about our Torah is that it's all-encompassing. I just finished this Uri Zohar book, and it's a great book to read if you sort of want to see the struggles of a person who was at the very top of, of, his, of, his, uh, of the entertainment world in Israel, and he was about to sign a big deal in Hollywood. Millions. And he meets somebody one day, and he offers him a chance to explore the truth, and he actually did the other four guys who were his buddies, and boy, explore the truth? Uh, the card goes out the window, the card that he gave him. But Uri, kept, uh, Uri Zohar kept the card, made the call. And he, he, he did a gut-wrenching uh, search with the agenda of not seeing the truth. I don't want to believe in this Judaism. I'm having a time of my life. 
I got a house on the Mediterranean. I don't want to change anything. But that little voice was gnawing at him. But the truth is still the truth. You want to ignore the truth? You think that's going to bring you happiness? How are you going to feel when you're 80 years old and you live the life and you know you had that truth 40 years ago and you just let it go right down through your fingers? He couldn't do it. And he found the truth. And one of the most amazing forces that, that made him realize the truth, and it was many, many fascinating issues. It's called Friends We've Been Robbed. We were robbed, and it's a great book to read. But he recognized this is all encompassing. This gives us meaning to every moment of our lives. You don't have a, a, a blueprint like that. You don't have another uh, manual along these lines. Not even close. So, girls, let's feel the incredible schus of being the Amman Nifchar, the chosen people. We're the ones who said, Nasav Nishma. Let's, once again, let's feel those words so that, once again, we can be Zohar. You know, Purim is coming up, and Purim is a special time. It's a time of, of a reacceptance of the Torah. Let's bring ourselves during this month of Adah to that level of Nasav Nishma, we'll see our commitment, see the all-in, and he, too, will do what he promised to be all-in, and that is bring Mashiach from Have a beautiful Shabbos, Chodesh Tov. Mm-hmm.